2: Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. So Kortić centralmente tiro oh! gol mamma mia mamma mia goal. no pazzesco <laughs> 4-2 Berardi, e Berardi ancora a ancora mia. Berardi ancora per vie centrali 4-2 oh, <inaudible> umiliati credo. difesa inguardabile inguardabile inguardabili <laughs> (Mu gabionato Di calcio italiano
0: Good evening and welcome back to) Forza Italian footballs, my favourite game series as ever, I am your host, Conor Clancy. We've had two games in the capital, we had a game in Bologna, we're moving ever so slightly north this time to an unexpected destination in Reggio Emilia, uh, a lovely little town, according to FIF's managing editor, Dov Schiavone. I tend to disagree, but What I think about the town is completely different from what I think about this game. We have Vito Doria joining us, regular listeners to the podcast will be well familiar with his voice. And we're going to talk about a very memorable game from 2014, so just over six years ago now, when a young teenage sensation, Domenico Berardi, really announced himself on the Italian game by scoring four against one of Italian football's more recognizable clubs. Oh,
2: Gol! Gol!
0: Gol!
2: Ancora Berardi! Ancora Berardi! cross dalla sinistra, si e in area, un vuoto, un vuoto centro e area, ancora una volta un errore, non è possibile!
0: Okay, so this week I am joined by Vito Doria. Most people listening to this podcast will know you, Vito. This is a little bit of a a different type of situation that we're speaking to each other in, though. Usually, we're speaking about recent events. This time, we're we're dipping our toe a little bit further back into the past.
3: Yes, we are, and uh, we are going to talk about a game that was played when a lot of us were regularly covering. Uh, football games for the Forza Italian Football website where each team had a specific correspondent. And uh, this particular game was uh, Sassuolo beating AC Milan 4-3 in the first ever Serie A campaign.
0: Yeah, it was quite a remarkable one because this is just a couple of months after I had come to, to Italy for the first time on a football trip. So we met up on one of the old FIF weekends in the October and this was obviously in January January the 12th 2014 so I was kind of my love for Italian football had already existed but it was stepping up even that little bit more and Sassuolo were a team who had caught my attention but first of all we need to set the scene right because nowadays I go to Reggio Emilia once or twice a month basically um And I live in basically the same area as Reggio Emilia Parma is maybe, I don't know, 15 kilometers away, if even that. It's 15 minutes on the the train anyway, and it's quite warm. It makes me feel nice and warm inside when I look back at this and I just see it's a Sunday evening in January, and the place is completely covered in fog. And this is just northern Italy in winter, basically.
3: Yeah, it just typifies the north, around that time that it's cold, it's foggy and it's not as um, bad as say Milan for instance but in Emilia-Romagna it's still going to be cold and uh, the fog, uh, I'm sure would not have surprised many of the locals at all.
0: Yeah, this is the General Padana, unfortunately and this is where I live. But let's look at the game then, right? Because it is Sassuolo against Milan. It's Giuseppe Di Francesco Sassuolo against Massimiliano Allegri's Milan. That feels like a sentence from another time, not just from six years ago. But things had had started to go wrong for Allegri long before this.
3: Absolutely. Uh, After the 2011-2012 season, when they finished second, they had a horrible start to the following season. And it seemed that some goals from... Stefan El-Sharrawi were trying to keep them up. He was in incredible form. Then in that year, uh, in January 2013, they brought in Mario Balotelli, who scored 12 goals in the second half of the season, and uh, they managed to finish third and get a Champions League spot. Unfortunately, in the first half of the 2013-2014 season, they still had the same struggles, and it didn't look like there was much of a turnaround in sight.
0: No, it didn't, did it? But you look at their, their squad, and I, obviously I knew that Balotelli was there at the time. It's It surprised me looking back to think that Robinho was still there. But one of the big things about their, their squad list was that Keizuki Honda had just come in from CSKA Moscow on a free transfer. And Allegri had announced this back in the October as kind of something for the, the Milan fans to look forward to and what was a really, really... The beginning of their dark ages and I'm sure they didn't expect them to go on for, for quite this long but this game in Reggio was Honda's debut and it's it's funny to look back at this now because you can see a load of Japanese fans packed into the Mape Stadium who had come over to watch him or, or had already been living in Italy and had made the trip to Reggio to watch him but it didn't quite go to plan for him on the day or in his Milan career as a whole
3: no, not at all. Uh, that In that particular game, he came on as a substitute and uh, he had a couple of chances to score. Just you know, looking through it, he had a header, but uh, Gianpaolo Pazzini <laughs> got in the way and couldn't get a clear touch. The way he touched the ball, Pazzini, was more like a defensive clearance than for him to actually try and swing at the ball. And then there was another opportunity where Honda had hit the post and then Pazzini again was about to score with the rebounds but uh, Pegolo, the Sassuolo goalkeeper denied him from point blank range so even if uh, Honda could not have scored twice uh, Pazzini uh, wasted opportunities to score twice so yeah not um, not an ideal debut for Honda and uh, not even Giampaolo Pazzini could have helped the situation.
0: No, Pazzini had another miss, which we will come on to a little bit later as well. But the, the Honda, the header he had, where Pazzo is basically blocked it like a defender. It's quite funny because the camera then pans in on Honda, who is the big story from this game at the time. And then you kind of see a, a look come onto his face and it's almost as if the realisation of what he has signed up for is just dawning on him in that moment so oh no, what, what am I in for here but previously Milan were 11th coming into this game they had just beaten Atalanta 3-0 the week before, Sassuolo meanwhile were 18th and they had just lost 2-0 against Vito, I'm sorry to say to Genoa the week before and it was their first season in Serie A, they were in the relegation zone but they were earning a lot of I don't want to say applauded, but they were earning a lot of supporters. So people had kind of adopted Sassuolo as their second team because they they admired the way Di Francesco had them set up. Yeah,
3: I do remember that. And going back to how Forza Italian football had club uh, focuses and there was a correspondent for each club, uh, Enzo Mizaraka, who used to contribute on the podcast frequently, Uh, was the Sassuolo correspondent for that season, and he is a Roma supporter. He followed the games, obviously, and uh, he did sing the praises of uh, Di Francesco's coaching, uh, the way they played. Obviously, uh, many other Serie A fans were uh, delighted to see Sassuolo play the way they did. And uh, before we go on to the specifics about Domenico Berardi, he did... Um, He did write about uh, the young uh, Calabrese forward. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately for me, in one of those games where he did shine before this Milan game, Berardi scored a hat-trick and a 4-3 win away to Sampdoria early in the season.
0: That's one of those details that I was reminded of by reading your piece because I had completely forgotten it. Berardi was already impressing people in Serie A, but this, it it not only confirmed what people thought of him, but it elevated him to a completely new level to score four goals against Milan is, is something special. And right. So, so Milan took the lead. They went two 0 up within 13 minutes because Robinho and Balotelli had scored. And you're kind of thinking, right, they've won last week against Atalanta. They're playing against a team in the relegation zone who are a little bit almost frightened to be playing them possibly. And, you thought Milan were just going to steamroll them, but it wasn't to be because on 15 minutes, Berardi pulled one back on 28. He leveled 41. He put them ahead. And in the 47th minute, he made it four two. four goals against Milan. The, the only player to ever score four times against AC Milan, I believe.
3: Oh, it was, it was incredible for him to do that, regardless of what people may think of Milan now and what has happened since then. But, uh, For a 19-year-old to score against AC Milan and to do it four times was just something out of the ordinary. Uh, From a personal point of view, um, I was really stunned that he managed to do it because he did show those glimpses before, but this was really extraordinary. In my time of watching uh, football, um, I can't really recall being that impressed by a 19-year-old or at least 19 year old Italian to sort of show some maturity beyond his years and then take a game on like that and produce what he did it well when I look back on that game I thought you know I really believe that Berardi was going to become the real deal and for a couple of seasons it did look like he could have been the next big thing in Italian football but in the last few years he's had injuries and then I suppose with Di Francesco going and the changes in coaches, he hasn't really found much of that stability as well. So although the talent's obviously there, I don't think he's reached the potential that I thought that he was going to reach.
0: No, it's a good point. And I suppose we should probably talk about Barardi in a little bit more depth because you're you're spot on. This is a guy who we all thought was going to, to take Italy's number nine shirt for years to come in that game. The goals he scored were all quite different. All very much strikers, goals, but one he took it around Abiati, One the chance seemed to have passed him by and he managed to finish it anyway and then the other was like a first time finish. I can't really remember the fourth one to be honest, but anyway.
3: was it deflected um, strike after Kortic's ah, pass.
0: Yes, it was and Kortic's ball for the first goal as well actually was pretty special, though Baradi was, was offside and in, in modern days he would have been called offside with, with VAR, but but rightly, it didn't quite happen. He he's chosen to stay at Sassuolo despite clubs showing an interest in him. And while you could applaud that for for saying, okay, fair enough, he's he's happy with Sassuolo, fair fair play, fair whatever. Should we be questioning the fact that he's never looked to take that step forward?
3: I think it it should be, and I really thought he could have done that because. There have, well, he was co-owned by Juventus. At that time, co-ownership of players was very common and I thought, you all there would have.
2: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door.
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: Taken him on, or he would have tried to make the move. Otherwise, uh, Intel were linked with him and, uh, If I'm not mistaken, I think he was even linked with the likes of Barcelona and Liverpool. Liverpool would be just a big no-no for any Italian because the Italians that have gone to Liverpool have flopped enormously. Bolotelli, Borini and Aquilani. So I'd say you could even have Roberto Baggio's talent or even going further back, Giuseppe Meazza and Gianni Rivera. Just stay away from Liverpool. Um, Barcelona, mm, a lot of competition there. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't think someone like him should be uh, warming the bench. I think uh, he would be good to start at another club. So, um, he seemed to be happy with Sassuolo. Uh, I don't think they've really leapt to really great heights on a consistent basis. They did have one great year in uh, 2015, 2016. But since then, they've uh, slowly dropped off. They haven't uh, continued in the same way that, for instance, a club like Atalanta have in the last three or four years.
0: Yeah, for sure. And Barardi, he's, he's probably having his best season this season. Um, his most complete season, if not his best in all. It's definitely his best since Di Francesco left Sassuolo. He, he's... Finding quite a nice partnership with Chicho Caputo in particular. But yeah, it does seem like he's 25, right? So things could obviously still change. He could still get a move to someone like Napoli or Inter or someone. But it does feel as though his career could easily pass. And it'd be a great case of, oh, what what if he had gone to a bigger club when he was 22? Rather than sitting at Sassuolo where let's be honest, nobody really cares, right? There's no pressure on you if you're playing for Sassuolo, whereas going to another club, even a Fiorentina, it's a completely different task. But the game, Sassuolo got their win, the season played out, Milan finished 7th Sassuolo, Won two of their last three games, they lost on the last day of the season, but they were already safe. They finished 17th but survived, and they've been ever present in, in Serie A since then.
3: It shows that you know, since uh, the late Giorgio Squinzi was running the club, he put in a lot of investment, but they're also well run under servio Di Francesco. They took a while to get going and there was a stage in the 2013-2014 season in which uh, Alberto Malazzani took over for about five games and then Di Francesco came back. But uh, they played some good football. They developed some good Italian players and uh, they did qualify for the Europa League once. So in that era, they did pretty well. Once Di Francesco left, they had... uh, it's 7 my mind who they had. Uh, his name was Christian Bucchi, who was raw out of uh, Serie B. He didn't do too well. Then Beppe Iacchini steered the ship mm. for a bit. And now they've had the Zerbi for at least two seasons. So I do like the Zerbi style, but I don't think he's been able to do what Di Francesco has done. And uh, I reckon Sassuolo will be a good, steady Serie A club. Maybe in a few years, they might eventually drop down, especially now that uh, Squinzy has passed away. So I don't know what his uh, children want to do and the rest of the so swallow board, what their ambitions are. But uh, the way things are now, I reckon the Nero Verdi, they're still going to entertain us in their own way, provide some games in which they are superb on their day. And then, of course, they'll have the off days where they either don't look bothered, they look like they'll probably end up getting steamrolled by the opposition.
0: Yeah, I'm not so sure that Quincy's son has the same interest in football as he had, which is unfortunate because Sassuolo divide opinion. You know, they can be frustrating even for me as well, given the fact that they're from the province of Modena. The town is Sassuolo. They now play in the province of Reggio Emilia. They've basically made... Reggiana homeless effectively. They they play there, but the club is as good as not there anymore. And but they they deserve credit because for most part for the most part they've stuck to their guns. They've continued with this style. I know Yakini had a spell in charge there, but they've gone back to Zerbi now. Who he's not as successful as the Francesco was, but it's very much front foot football they they play to entertain they play to attack they play to score goals and watching them is quite entertaining because like you say you don't know what you're going to get they could put five past someone one week and then concede five the next but I don't know looking back at this then there there are that Sassuolo squad wasn't too bad was it they had Barardi they had Sergio Flockery, Simone Zaza Nicola Sansone a Cherby was there as well, and Paolo Cannavaro. Uh, for, for your first season in Serie A, they assembled quite a nice squad.
3: In hindsight, that wasn't too bad of a team. I think at that time, a lot of the players just lacked that Serie A experience or just the senior football experience in general. And looking through some of the teams or the starting 11s that they had was either that Di Francesco was experimenting with players roles too or he was struggling to find the right balance perhaps it was either him just trying to get to know some of those players better or just his inexperience in that level because before that he had a spell at Lecce in 2011-2012 but uh, it went very poorly for him so uh, uh, going to Sassuolo making the drop down helping them earn promotion from Serie B um, I think uh, he learned a few things on the way. And just I mean, looking at those players, uh, Simone Zaza, he was starting to, you know, find his way. He he had a chance in this particular game too with a free kick, but Abbiati saved it. And looking at the starting lineup, they had uh, Reto Ziegler, a Swiss, a Swiss international who played on the left wing. And I was a bit surprised with that because he was more of a left midfielder in a 4-4-2. And I remember him because he was at Sampdoria for a few years and he played predominantly as a left-back. So that was probably one move that took me a bit by surprise. But uh, I guess that in a game like this, it doesn't matter too much because Berardi's scoring heroics uh, uh, took centre stage. And uh, you know, for all the role changes or tactical flaws that might have been on paper, uh, Berardi's quality shone through in that game.
0: It's one of those games, isn't it? It almost doesn't matter. Nothing else matters when you look back at this. It's all about Berardi, Berardi, Um, <laughs> If he does go on to have a big career, this will still be one of those games that people speak about in, in 25 years as as being the game where you saw the true Domenico Berardi. But Gianpaolo Pazzini had a big, big chance late on to, to equalize. Somehow, Mario Balicelli had a shot saved. Ball rebounded back out to Pazzini. Five yards out, open goal. He headed it off the crossbar. An absolute bullet header as well, which w- was quite needless. There were two things, though, that I want to bring up about the Mape Stadium. The first one is they had like the circular goal nets. So the back of the net wasn't a flat line parallel with the goal line. It was rounded. So it-, it was wonderful. I-, I really wish they still had that at the Mape Stadium, but but sadly not. And secondly... Vito, this was, this was from the days before the Mapei Stadium fish.
3: Okay, you might have to explain to me that one because you've been to the stadium and although I was in Italy last year, um, I did not go to Reggio Emilia or watch a game at the Stadio Mapei. So you might have to fill me in on that one.
0: Oh, right. Okay, I was, I was sure. I, I'm sorry to all of the listeners because this is something that I've been depriving you of. I should be speaking about this on the podcast every time I go to the Mappe Stadium. But yeah, so behind the two goals at the Mapay Stadium, there's now a moat separating the pitch, the playing surface from the, the curvas. And there are fish in, the, I don't know why, but there are fish in the moat behind each end. So a lot of the time the ball goes in and everyone goes goes mad and they get a big deep net and they, and they fish the ball out. It was only when I was there for an Atalanta game that I was down at the front and I looked in and I saw, oh, my God, there there are living fish in the Mapay Stadium. So, yeah, the Mape Stadium is a weird place. It, as far as football stadiums go, it's terrible, but it it's built on top of a shopping center and it has fish inside. So there aren't too many stadiums in European football that can say that. Vito... We have reached the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for talking to me about one of your favorite games. I know you will be joining me again soon for another of your favorite games, but we won't give that away just yet. Maybe you could tease it. Do you want to give them a little clue about what your next favorite game is?
3: Um, Well, I don't want to give too much away, but... Yeah, surprisingly, this game actually has more goals than the first one. So, uh, (laughs) Sassuolo-Milan, seven goals. Um, This one has more. So, I'll leave it at that.
0: Yeah, it's good. And it's it's not too far away from where this game was either. That will be out with you next Monday. So, this is going to get posted on Monday, March 23rd. The next one with Vito will be Monday, March 30th. And we've got a lot more to come in between then as well so thank you Vito and I will speak to you all again soon
3: you're welcome Connor talk then